Hello. I feel charged up just being here with y'all. It's good to be here, and it was a wonderful welcome that I got from old friends. Some of them I haven't gotten to talk to yet. So many of you have experienced participating in Wellsprings 2.0, listening to our lives, and some of you are in it right now. And Frank told me that some of you either have just read or will just read Parker Palmer article. Um, and, and Palmer wrote, I must listen to my life and try to understand what it is truly about. I must listen to my life telling me who I am. I must listen to the values and truth at the heart of my own identity. And that, that uh, listening to our live session ends with the question, is the life that I'm living big enough for the life that wants to live in me? Frank just said a few minutes ago um, that the soul hides and is difficult to find. And I think that can be true. But there's another piece. We don't always want to find it. There's a song I really like, and it's Voice Still and Small, which is the name I gave to this message this morning. Voice still and small, deep inside all, I hear you call singing. In storm and rain, sorrow and pain, still we'll remain singing, calming my fears, quenching my tears through all the years singing. Do you, have you, will you hear that still small voice? How are you doing at listening to your own life? I have to tell you, sometimes that voice has needed to be loud and insistent and repetitive before I paid attention. I don't know how it's been for you. But this morning, I want to share with you a little bit of my call to ministry, sort of the process of discernment and of surrender. The word discernment is used to describe the process of sorting out feelings and perceptions and ideas about the call to ministry or other vocations. Palma reminds us that vocations comes from the Latin for voice. And it is not just about paid work, but it is about listening to that voice that calls you, calls you to do and be who you are, a calling that you hear. So for me, discernment is about paying attention to all kinds of perceptions, including those that don't seem to make any sense or disrupt our lives or that we don't really want to hear. But I think there is for all of us a call, or really more accurately, calls, there are calls, to be our own authentic self and to use our particular gifts in the world. Irish poet and spiritual teacher John O'Donoghue put it this way. He said, we're sent into the world to live to the full everything that awakens in us. The glory of God is the human person fully alive 
The shape of each soul is different. There is a secret destiny. That's Frank talked about the hidden. There is a kind of a secret destiny. Sometimes it's hard for us rational people to believe that. But secret destiny for each person. And when you endeavor to repeat what others have done or force yourself into a preset mold, you betray your individuality. We need to return to that quiet time, the solitude within, to find again the dream that lies, O'Donoghue says, at the hearth of the soul, that warmth of a hearth. But life does get complicated and confusing, doesn't it? And maybe sometimes you felt like Alice in Alice in Wonderland, who told the caterpillar, the caterpillar asked her, who are you? And she said, I hardly know, sir, just at present. At least I know who I was when I got up this morning, but I think I must have changed several times since then. Yeah. Or sometimes, at least for some of us female people, even before we get out the door, we've changed our clothes several times. (laughs) But discernment means to do our best to stay in the presence, present and in the presence. And asking yourself questions and listening, listening, in fact, to the answers. As I said, I haven't always found it easy to listen. I learned a lot this month about the life of Steve Jobs, who was apparently a man of real discernment and started at that very early in life. He reported that each morning after he was 17 years old, he asked himself, he looked in the mirror and asked himself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I am about to do? You've got to find what you love, he told the Stanford graduating class in 2005. You have to trust something. Your gut, destiny, karma, whatever. This approach has never let me down, and it has made all the difference in my life. Jobs is not someone we think of ordinarily, I think, as a religious or spiritual teacher. But, in fact, that wasn't one of the many things that he was he reminded himself daily that he would die so that he would pay attention to how he was living Hmm? listening to his life remembering that I'll be dead soon he said is the most important tool I have ever encountered to help me make big choices in life because almost everything, all external expectations, fears of embarrassment or failure, they fade away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. We know that when we face the death of someone we love, too. Remembering that you're going to die, he says, is the best way that I know to avoid the trap of thinking that you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is someone else's thought. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow 
already know what you truly want to become. So really, Jobs gave my whole message this morning, but I'm going to talk more anyway. He paid attention to his own heart, and he became a leader and an innovator and affected the lives of each one of us in this room and people all over the world. Every profound innovation is based on an inward-bound journey, going to a deeper place where knowing comes to the surface. This comes from the book called Presence, which is written by MIT professors and business consultants. But they are very aware of the presence of something beyond us and the importance of our listening and paying attention to that. They say the inward journey lies at the heart of all creativity. Many scientists and inventors, like artists and entrepreneurs, live in a paradoxical state of great confidence and profound humility. Knowing that their choices and actions matter and feeling guided by forces beyond their making. Three weeks ago, I gave a sermon for the Reverend Libby Smith, a UU minister nearby in Bucks County and her congregation. And during the service, I gave Libby a kaleidoscope. It's just a cheap kid's kaleidoscope. You know, if I'd had more money, maybe I would have got one of those fancy wooden ones, but I didn't have that this time. That was because one morning at a minister's meeting, Libby had said she'd found the perfect metaphor for her, for her ministry, which was the kaleidoscope. Because, you know, when you turn the lens on a kaleidoscope, the colors shift and create new patterns. The kaleidoscope reminded Libby to focus on the ministry of this very moment, not the past ministry, not what she thought the ministry should be, not the future ministry, but right now. It's about letting go and being present. But Libby's reaction led me to think about that metaphor more, and I thought about another kind of kaleidoscope. I don't know if you've seen it. Not everyone has seen these. They're called, I had to look up what it was called. It's called a teleidoscope. A teleidoscope doesn't have colored plastic or glass in it. It operates the same way as a kaleidoscope, except that it has mirrors and clear glass. Hmm? So that the image that you're watching shifts with the external world as well as the shift, the internal shift with the mirrors and the different shapes of the glass. And I thought that that's a really good metaphor for well, for listening to our lives, because a kaleidoscope, the teleidoscope, those are good metaphors, not for ministry, really, but for all of us, for all our ministries and for all of our lives. So with the teleidoscope, if you're focused on, say, the sunrise or the sunset, the shift, and don't move that lens, just focus, there will be a shift. It'll shift with the colors gradually. As our lives shift, as our children grow up, gradually. But if somebody walks in front of you, and then suddenly you're looking at something different, just like life can change when that phone rings sometimes, or you get a text, and everything is different. 
ministry, life, our sense of listening to our lives and calling, they are full of change. And so for me, it's all about paying attention, listening, discerning. It is so easy for me, and I think for us, to distract ourselves and miss or ignore the moment. We can be attached too much to the past and have trouble letting it go, especially a recent or hard loss. We can distract ourselves with our wishes, our hopes, or our fears for the future, or our to-do list, or any number of things. The teleidoscope can remind me and us to focus on this moment, on this person before me, on this congregation this morning, on this prayer. It's a reminder to give ourselves the gift of presence. And if we give that gift, then what indeed might we hear or see? O'Donohue, the Irish teacher, writes about seeing and hearing. Your senses link you intimately with the divine, the divine within you and around you. To the loving eye, everything is real. The art of love is neither sentimental nor naive. Such love is the greatest criterion of truth, of celebration, of reality. Unless you see a thing in the light of love, you do not see it at all, he says. To recognize how you see things can bring you self-knowledge and enable you to glimpse the wonderful treasures that your life already secretly holds. And with a sense of hearing, he says, we listen to creation. True listening brings us in touch even with that which is unsaid and unsayable. When you listen with your soul, you come into rhythm and unity with the music of the universe. This man was a poet as well as a teacher. There's a voice within you, he says, that no one, not even you, has ever really heard. Give yourself the opportunity of silence and begin to develop your listening in order to hear deep within yourself the music of your own spirit. The authors of that book, Presence, talk about learning to see as the first step towards change, both changing oneself or making change in the world. They say we have to learn to see with the heart before we can see from the whole. The only change that will make a different difference is the transformation of the human heart. For me, this author said, it's almost like learning to see with the heart. So my call to ministry first came as an internal voice. I wasn't even a Unitarian Universalist officially. I was attending a Quaker meeting for worship because there wasn't a UU congregation close enough. And unlike some of the people here, I didn't have the initiative to start one. Uh, 
But in Quaker silent meeting for worship, I heard a voice saying, you should be a minister. And I said, we're all ministers here. That worked a little tiny bit for a little while. Now I have to tell you, that voice did not feel like it was coming from me. I mean, it was inside me, but it wasn't coming from me, and I didn't want it. I had a lot of arguments with it. I told myself that my work as a psychotherapist was already ministering to people, and it was. I told myself that we are all called, and it's true. We are all called, each in our own way, and those calls change in our lives. <sighs> then they started a Unitarian Universalist congregation. So we went there. First time I walked into that service, I saw the woman minister who was probably about my age and actually hadn't been in the ministry all that long. And that voice said, see, you could do it, too. I still argued. I just officially became a member here. How could I possibly tell them that I want to be a minister? You can. Anybody feeling that stirring? My daughter was in college. How could I go back to school? How could I ask my family to sacrifice again? They were all good arguments. And it didn't really work. Sort of. For a little while. But that voice, that feeling didn't go away. I once heard an analogy about the specific call to ministry that it's like one of those old plastic beach balls. If you try to hold it underwater, you can, but not very long. And the minute you stop having any pressure on it, it's back again. So all my arguments didn't convince that still small voice, and I started to research the requirements for the Unitarian Universalist ministry. It's so easy to do that now. You can do it on the web, and you don't have to talk to anybody about it. I found out about all the seminaries within a hundred miles of where I lived. I think I did that for a couple of years <laughs> before I said anything to anyone out loud. And I and, and, and remember the the teleoscope. It's internal and external. So for me, it's important, and I think for all of us, that any sense of voice or call has to have some confirmation in the real world and in community. I think that's probably why I didn't say it to anybody for a long time. Because when I did, well, I'm now an ordained minister. When I did, I got a lot of community support, and no one seemed to be surprised about it except for me and my immediate family. It's really strange, actually. They weren't surprised. My roommate, right after college, said, we never understood why you were a psychologist, but ministry, that, that makes sense. And my husband wasn't happy with this change in our direction and with this new path. And his reaction helped me to continue to resist what I already knew. So even after I was in seminary, I told myself it was really just to enhance the work that I was already doing, to add a more spiritual dimension to the counseling that I was doing. And it did. It did. It took me several semesters 
at seminary before I surrendered to that voice that said, you know, you really need to be working in a congregation. And shortly after that, I met Reverend Ken. And I knew like that, actually. I knew in a flash that I should come to work with the newly emerging Wellsprings congregation. And so I did. And you all seem to think I was a minister, those of you who were here then. You have to go before a committee to finish the requirements for the UU ministry, the Ministerial Fellowship Committee. They put nine people in a panel, and every one of them asks you a question and looks very serious and intense. So one of them asked me how I had changed the ministerial formation process. That's what they call it, a formation process. Sounds very mysterious. I told them when they asked me that about a conversation I'd had with my husband, Rick, in which I, he was not yet happy about the decision I made. He's fine now. but uh, I told him that I would still be the same person and that I would not change. I laughed when that committee told the committee that because it's not true. I didn't know it wouldn't be true, but it's not true. When you listen to that still, small voice and respond, you are changed. What hasn't changed is my love and commitment to my husband and my family. But listening to your life, really listening, allows transformation. In in his recent book, Richard Rohr, the book called Falling Upward, Richard Rohr talked about my experience. His book is Falling Upward, Spiritualities for the Two Halves of Life. And he's actually particularly talking to people in midlife and later. He says, in the second half of spiritual life, you are not making choices as much as you are being guided, taught, and led, which lead to choiceless choices. There are things you cannot do because of what you have become, Things you do not need to do because they just aren't yours to do. And things you absolutely must do because they are your destiny and your deepest desire. I was eventually motivated to enter the ministry by the feeling that I must, in fact, do so. I must do so to live my life authentically and to serve as I am called to serve. I surrendered. And that surrender has led to great blessings and joy and great friendships and connections with other people. I feel awake, not all the time, but pretty often. I am much, much more often unafraid and have found a faith that no matter what happens, still all will be well. All will be well, not because it will be the way that I want it to be. All will be well because I have found there is, in fact, a loving, comforting presence that responds, responds to us and is there for us. I have experienced surrender and gratitude. That's how it's been for me. How is it for you? Are you living the life that wants to live in you?
may you do so. And may you live in joy and blessing. Will you join me in prayer? Mysterious, sometimes confusing, sometimes mischievous spirit. Thank you. Thank you for these people and this place and this day. May we all have the courage and the strength to eventually listen. Listen to our own lives. Listen to that still, small voice. Even when we don't want to. And this is my prayer for us this morning. Amen. Blessed be.